internet brand strategist Sandra Beck interviews top business coaches, speakers, authors, and thought leaders to bring you the best business tips, tricks, and techniques to give your idea the best possible chance for success. From writing your first novel, to telecommuting from home, to taking your small business to infinity and beyond. Now here's your host, Sandra Beck. everybody, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here with Richard Capriola and he has written a book called The Addicted Child and it also has a workbook that goes along with it. And there's been a recent release from the University of Michigan a report that we're going to talk about today about the, the changes, the trends, things that are happening um, with our young people. Richard, welcome to today's show. Thank you, Sandra. It's a pleasure to be here with you again to talk about this really very important topic of teenage, adolescent substance abuse in, in this country. Absolutely. You know, I'm I'm always shocked that I turn on the TV and I see advertisements for, for, you know, all these different drugs, but then I've seen this advertisement pop up recently that says, oh, you know, parents, my daughter's alive because of this drug, because she was, you know, overdosed on fentanyl and this drug is great. We live in a drug community, you know, whether it's pro or con. So how is a parent supposed to navigate all of this information, you know, that we're going to give, you're going to give us even more information today. What is important for parents to start with? Like that, I want to have a baseline uh, yeah. understanding as a parent myself of a teen boy. Well, you, you, you really mentioned um, the, the reason why I wrote my book. Um, the book, which you mentioned, the title, The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse, is because this can be an overwhelming topic for parents, and it can be a scary topic for parents. Unfortunately, it's also a topic that a lot of parents uh, naively say or think it can't happen to their kid. No, not, not, my it, kid. It, not my kid. It happens to other kids, not my kid. And they find out, yeah, it, it can happen to just about any kid. <laughs> there is no child that's uh, that's completely protected. So what I wanted to do in my book is equip parents uh, with the uh, knowledge, the information, the resources that they need, uh, and the warning signs. What what should you what should you be looking for so that they feel less paranoid, less afraid, and more confident about this topic? So many times, Sandra, when I would meet with families about their child's history of using a substance. When I finished going through all of the history and the diagnosis, uh, they would look at me and they would say, I had no idea this was going on. Uh, they would say something like that. Or if they did suspect the child was using a substance, they might say, I sort of knew something was going on, but I didn't think it was this bad. Right. And, and, and these are good parents. These are very good parents doing the best job they can. They missed the warning signs because nobody ever told them what to look for. Oh. And and that's what I wanted to accomplish in my book. Give them the warning signs, let them know what's on the street, 
tell them how drugs work in the brain. And that's all packed within about a hundred and some pages because, you know, parents don't have time to read volumes of information on this. So I wanted it to be concise. I wanted it to be a quick read, but I, I, I would hope that after reading the book, parents say, and, and they, and they believe that they feel a little bit more informed and confident about this issue. Well, sure. Cause we have parenting books about everything, Richard, yeah. you know, we have, you know, and for me as a single parent and a parent of boys, you know, obviously I didn't know what I was doing with my first one. I got better with the second one, you know, as a parent, you <laughs> better at recognizing what's a, you know, what's a trend? What are they, you know, the, are they, are they going to grow out of this behavior? You know, you, and you get a little more patient, you yeah. know, who I was as a parent at 25, very different than who I'm a parent at 45, you know, we, yeah. We, you know, so there's all these different things going around. Um, but then you add in the the additional level of society trends, you know, and that's why I'm interested to, to meet with you today to talk about the University of Michigan's monitoring for the future study, because that's been going back since 1975. This is a long-term study that's done every year by the University of Michigan, and they uh, take a comprehensive sample of, of teenagers uh, in three different grades. Um, and, and, and what they look at is what drugs are these kids using, uh, how, how dangerous these kids think these drugs are, and how available these drugs are to kids. So we have a long-term analysis, a long-term trend of adolescent substance abuse in this country. Um, and, and what we're focusing on now is we know that during the pandemic, adolescent substance abuse significantly declined. That's not a surprise. You know, kids were isolated at home. They were pulled away from their activities, from their peers, from their sports activities, and pretty much isolated at home during that pandemic year. So when the research came out, what did we find? Adolescent substance abuse significantly declined. Right. So what happened a year later, a year after? The, the, the pandemic. What we saw was that there was a rebound, not a significant rebound, but a rebound in some of the drug use, particularly alcohol. So now we just had released last month the data for 2023. And what we're finding is that adolescent substance abuse still remains below the pandemic, the pre-pandemic level. So it hasn't gotten back to where it was before really? the pandemic, which is good. But we are seeing a trend start to develop where it's sort of getting back to where it was before with alcohol, up. creeping up with alcohol use. Um, and, and, and I think that uh, this vaping issue is still continuing to be a major issue among the adolescent population. Um, tobacco smoking um, with cigarettes, for example, is at an all-time low. But I think what's happened is kids have switched from getting their nicotine through smoking cigarettes to vaping nicotine. Um, but overall, uh, I think we still remain below the pre-pandemic levels with the exception of alcohol. I think alcohol has pretty much returned back to where it was before the academic. But the other substances like marijuana and um, and the other illicit drugs, fortunately, there's, there's, they have not rebounded significantly from where they were during during the pandemic. 
Now, do we know why that is? Do we have a better understanding of health or, you know, do it, do they do, or do you, if the study didn't explain it, do you have any uh, ideas from your practice? Like why it didn't, why didn't it rebound or why didn't it get worse? I think uh, uh, if you look at, for example, the kids that were entering ninth grade during, during the pandemic and who are now in 11th and 12th grade, uh, what we find is that it did not rebound significantly for those kids. So we think that what likely happened is that when they were pulled away from these substances for a year, it had a lasting effect. In other words, they didn't they didn't just automatically get back into substance use. Keeping them away from it for a year during the pandemic may have had a long-term effect of them not getting back into the the drug use to the extent that they were before the pandemic. So the pandemic not only reduced it for an entire year, but it may have a longer, hopefully a longer lasting uh, impact on reducing the extent of teen substance use. We'll know more about that, obviously, as the years go by right. and we see if, see if it continues to creep up or if it's, if it's stabilizing. Would it have, would it make sense? Like I have a teen right in that he's a, he's a senior right now in that. And what I see with his peer group, and again, this is just one mom's opinion, is that because they couldn't go on the weekends and drink and be exposed to a lot of these things and make these choices, they had to make different choices. I see them more on their phones. You know, you want to talk about, you know, the addiction <laughs> child, um, or the video gaming, you know, they had to, because there wasn't jobs or money or the ability to go out and buy drugs at a party or share drugs, things like that, they had to cope with things in a different way. Do you think that could be part of it? I think that's part of it. I think also they lost interest in it. They'd been away from from a long away from it for a long time, and then when they did get back into into socializing, many of their peers ha were isolating too, and they weren't getting back into it. So perhaps they didn't have as much peer pressure or peer influence as they had because uh, their cohorts and 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 their friends were all isolating at the same time, and and as an entire group, uh, the the extent of of returning to substance use was not as as much as it could have been sure and they were all broke you know i look at my <laughs> you know my my kids and his you know my kid and his friends you know because nothing was open teens couldn't work you know there was also a, a significant cash flow issue of going you know when kids got together even if they would sneak out and all meet in the park you know they didn't have cars they didn't have money for gasoline there there really wasn't a whole lot you know they walked on foot yeah. in the neighborhood to get there because with everything being shut down it meant economically our teenagers were literally crippled in where they could go what they could do and what they could obtain yeah, there's a lot of factors involved. You mentioned you mentioned one, which is the financial aspect of it. There's a socialization aspect. Uh, so there's many different you know aspects to to this dilemma of of why substance abuse uh, has not rebounded, fortunately, as much as it was before before the uh, before the pandemic. Uh, there's still some issues of concern. I think alcohol is a concern because it has gotten back to where it was before close to where it was before the pandemic. This vaping issue um, continues to be of concern because uh, kids are vaping at, at, at very high levels. 
I, I think the fentanyl issue continues to be of a concern. It's not so much that kids are going out looking for fentanyl. They're not, they're not doing that. The danger with fentanyl is that it is um, uh, too many times it's, 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 in, it's mixed in with other drugs. So you may have a child, for example, that's out looking for a drug. Uh, maybe it's a, uh, an Adderall or it's some other drug and they're buying it off the street and they're not, they, they don't know the danger that uh, these street drugs can, can be laced with a dangerous drug like fentanyl um, and, and can have some serious consequences. And, why, yeah. like, and this is just a, a, you know, a nerd question, but why would somebody lace something with something like fentanyl? Does it improve the drug experience? Does it extend, like, wh why would you, why wouldn't you sell something that does what it's supposed to do? Well, it's a very powerful opiate um, and, and it will get you addicted very quickly. So, um, you know, I think the hook in there is that they want to capture people and get them addicted. Uh, unfortunately, you can't control it and uh, you can't control the dose and you can't control the effects. And many people are uh, too many people are overdosing on it unintentionally, maybe taking more than what they should and uh, finding out that uh, it in too many cases um, it has very, very dangerous effects gotcha because I, I you know i hear on the news i watch things and you know the amount of people overdosing on fentanyl not just children but adults as well like those kansas city chief uh guys that were watching the football game and and you know in the backyard in kansas city and then they were dead for like two days sitting yeah. back there you know i heard the mention of of you know possible fentanyl overdosing you know because the guy was making his own or the whatever the the chemist was making his own you know you just hear enough of this going does one escalate the other does like childhood addiction if a kid is addicted in his let's say early teen years like eighth grade to 12th grade like where do you go from there if you don't like do some people grow out of it do people stop naturally or is it always something that has to have intervention well, addiction is a is a term that I think is thrown around a lot. It's not a diagnosis. We don't diagnose people as being addicts. The, the, the diagnosis is called a substance use disorder, and it can either be mild, moderate, or severe. Severe is more likely what we would attribute to addiction. It's where you really have severe negative consequences uh, in the person's life. I think most adolescents are not in that category. Most adolescents uh, would, would, would most likely be in the mild to moderate category. That's not to say it's not interfering with their life because it is. Um, and it's not to say that it doesn't have the potential to escalate into a severe uh, substance use disorder. But I think generally adolescents are in the mild to moderate category. Um, and, and, it's, and, and it's producing negative consequences in their life, disrupting relationships, dis disrupting their family, having certain medical consequences. So it, it, it does have significant consequences. Does it carry over into adulthood? And many times it does. Uh, and many times it escalates. Uh, alcohol use, for example, may very well start in the high school years. And then when it gets to college, it just blows up and a lot of binge drinking going on. Um, so every child is different. 
I think we also have to look at the causes as to why a child is using a substance. Every child is different. But in too many cases, I think a child is using a substance to medicate an undiagnosed and untreated mental health issue. It might be anxiety, it might be depression, it might be some type of trauma. Many of the teenagers that I worked with, for example, when I asked them to help me understand why they were smoking so much marijuana, the number one answer that came back was it helps me with my anxiety. So for some kids, not all, but for some kids, they are using a substance that they have found helps medicate, alleviate some type of undiagnosed and untreated mental health issue. And they're most likely going to continue to use that substance because it gives them the relief that they're looking for until they get diagnosed and they and they get the help they need. And, and that's why in my book, I recommend to parents, if you suspect your child is using a substance, get a comprehensive assessment done mm-hmm. so that you get the information from the professionals as to whether or not there's an issue you rule in or you rule out if there's a diagnosis. And if there is a diagnosis, what's the best treatment plan for you and your child? Um, Because what you don't want to happen is to find out that that child has been struggling with an underlying issue, a mental health issue, and, and has been using a substance like marijuana, for example, or any other drug to medicate that issue. You focus on the drugs because that's what's causing the problems. And the underlying issue goes completely missed. Right. But it's not that dissimilar, like in the mom community, you know, there's a lot of moms in my mom community group that deal with the isolation, loneliness, empty nest with a glass of wine. And then that becomes a glass of wine a day. And, you know, I've seen it happen all too many times. And same thing in my sales career in high stress sales, I'm just going to have a glass to unwind. You know, it was a stressful day. I mean, there's other healthy ways that we can de-stress. But what you're talking about is is treating the underlying condition. And if we can get that under control, then we don't have the need to use alcohol or to vape or like, it, it doesn't matter whether you're 13 years old or 25 years old. I mean, it, it sounds similar to me. It is similar because many adults are are also in 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 very uncomfortable uh, situations. Very have, have these what I call intolerable thoughts or feelings or memories. They're suffering from some underlying issue that has has oftentimes not been diagnosed and not treated, and they're finding a substance to medicate. Maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's marijuana, maybe it's some other drug, uh, because we don't like sitting with uncomfortable thoughts or feelings or memories. That's just not what we do. We want to get rid of them. And oftentimes that's found in a substance. The sad part is that for both adults and for adolescents, that underlying emotional issue that they're struggling with goes undiagnosed and unrecognized and untreated. So the child or the adult suffers with those uncomfortable feelings and too many times finds some type of relief in an illicit substance like alcohol or maybe it's marijuana. Right, right. That I mean that makes sense. I mean I think all of us can look into our families and into our friend groups and and say, okay, we know things are going on with this person, and you know you can yeah. see the behaviors that that um you know that go along with it and the choices. But in our young people, we as their parents are 
are responsible for them. It's different if it's a coworker or a sibling, you know, you know, a grown adult sibling, there's not that same, there's care and concern, but there's not that same level of responsibility. Exactly. We are more responsible for the children uh, than, than we are for adults. Um, and, and it's our responsibility as parents to sort of, you know, keep our eyes and our ears open to the changes that we see and, and just not assume that it's, you know, normal adolescent acting out behavior um, and, and, and to act on those changes when we see them. Yeah, because that's really hard to know as a parent, you know, what is what behavior and that's why I think your book is so important. I know for me, it was very clear, I could look at certain things and and say, okay, this is probably typical, normal adolescent behavior, this is not we need to have a conversation about this, we need to work through this. Yeah, and it is difficult for parents because they're not professionals. Right. Um, and, 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 and that's why I many times, uh, that's why I recommend that parents get a professional assessment if they have any concern about their child's behavior, whether they think it's drug related or, or, or some other uh, issue that might be uh, causing that behavior. Uh, because like anything else, the, so the sooner you identify a problem, the sooner you can intervene and the sooner you can get uh, the help that you need and hopefully get it resolved um, earlier. Well, and your child can get relief from whatever he's struggling with, you know, to be yeah. self-medicating or to be choosing these things to deal with, you know, issues. And, you know, some of our, our kids have really big issues. You know, they have have issues of, of you know, and especially during COVID. That's why I find it so interesting. Um, you know, has the drug of choice changed over the years or is it still pretty much like was alcohol the drug of choice in the 70s and it's still around today? Like, how has the choice of drug changed over the years? It really hasn't changed very much over the years. The, you know, the, the most popular drugs uh, are um, alcohol and marijuana. And that's been true for a long, long time. Now, the difference somewhat in marijuana is that we're, we're seeing more and more vaping of marijuana. We're seeing more vaping of nicotine. Uh, but, um, but overwhelmingly, the high percentage of, of use is, is alcohol. Mm -hmm. And it's marijuana. The so-called illicit drugs, you know, they're generally less than one to three percent, less than one to five percent of adolescents. So alcohol and marijuana have for a long time ranked as the top drugs that uh, that teenagers are, are using. Well, and alcohol hasn't changed, you know, really, but but marijuana has, you know, I've read a lot of different things about the efficacy and the um, the strains and the genetic modifications to make a much more potent marijuana. Do you find that that is that is that causing additional problems in your practice or is it just the use of? Well, there, there's no question that the marijuana that's out there in the street is much different than the marijuana that was out there in the 60s. Uh, it is much more potent. The THC, which is the psychoactive component of marijuana, um, the part that gets you high, uh, is a lot more powerful than what it was years ago. The THC content uh, back in the 60s might have been 2 or 3%. 
today with the way that marijuana is grown, um, it, it can get, um, you know, significantly higher concentrations of THC in the marijuana. So the marijuana that the kids are using today is not like the marijuana that the parents or grandparents may have been smoking in the 60s and 70s. It is much more powerful um, and, and therefore much more uh, damaging. Um, the other thing is that the route in which these kids are getting the marijuana has switched so that more and more are getting their marijuana through vaping, uh, which, which yeah. also increases the concentration that they're getting into their lungs. So for both nicotine and marijuana vaping, it's really becoming a serious issue among adolescents. Well, and how much does your body build a resistance to the nicotine or does it build a, an addict, a resistance where you need more and more? It's very addictive. Nicotine uh, is a very, very addictive substance, and you can see the tolerance increase, uh, and and it come and it's and the withdrawal symptoms. That's why so many people have a terrible time breaking away from smoking. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, the withdrawal symptoms. So, um, the the nicotine vaping is just a different method of getting the nicotine into gotcha. the system. Unfortunately, it it provides a higher concentration of nicotine than what would be through cigarette smoking, which has all the carcinogens with the tobacco. Uh, the nicotine vaping, you're getting pure nicotine. And what does nicotine do for the body? Like what does it, what problem does it solve for the people using it? Well, like all, all these substances, eventually they hit the brain. <clears throat> and the problem with that is true of all of these substances uh, you're you're putting these substances into a very vulnerable uh, developing adolescent brain. Our brains don't become fully developed until around age 24, 25. So whether it's alcohol or it's nicotine or any other substance, all of it eventually hits the brain and has the potential of doing some damage to that vulnerable developing brain. And then with the marijuana and the nicotine, um, you know, you have um, an effect on the lung and the respiratory system as well. Uh, but the one that I think is really concerning is the adolescent brain, the adolescent lungs. They're all in the process of developing and uh, putting these substances into them runs the risk of doing some real harm. Well, and would it, would it, in a developing brain, if you introduce these drugs and the brain is not developed yet, could it develop a lifelong craving for these? Well, it, 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 what it can do is it can slow down the development of important areas of the brain. For example, uh, the kids that I worked with who were smoking a lot of marijuana, when the psychological test came back on them, what we noticed was that the processing speed of the brain, you know, the brain just clicking mm -hmm. along as it should be, uh, was impaired. And also their short-term memory was impaired, which may in some cases affect their academic performance. And then it, it affected their motivation as well. So some of these changes that are going on in the brain are very subtle. They're mm -hmm. not noticeable. A parent wouldn't notice them. You notice them through some type of professional testing, psychological sure. testing. Uh, but there are indications that these drugs act within the developing brain to produce changes. Whether those changes will be lifelong, how severe they will be, I think that's very difficult to 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 generalize on, um, you know, but, but the important message to parents and, and to the teenagers as well, is that your drain, your brain is a developing 
right. brain. It needs to be protected. And when you start to introduce illicit substances into it, you run the risk of doing some damage. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Now, where can people find out more about you and where can they get a copy of your book? And the study that we referenced today was the University of Michigan's Monitoring the Future Study. Um, And, you know, but let's talk about where we can get your book and your workbook. The book is entitled The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. It's available on Amazon as both a Kindle and a paperback. Um, and it's available through the book's website, uh, which has a link to Amazon. And the book's website is www.helptheaddictedchild.com. Helptheaddictedchild.com. And on that website uh, is not only a link to Amazon to purchase the book, uh, there's also some blog articles uh, that parents might find interesting and helpful. One has uh, 10 sort of 10 questions that you can ask your child to check in on their mental health. Uh, some of them are, are pretty, pretty interesting. One, one is um, you, you ask your child, uh, if, if your feelings were weather, what kind of a day would it be? Um, and, and so that's just a, a way in which you can check in with your child, maybe get a conversation going on and seeing how they're doing with their mental health. I love that. I love that. Cause you know, when you raise kids, um, they get to that certain age where mom is stupid and mom doesn't do <laughs> anything. And I, I, I'm experiencing that with one of mine right now. It's a delightful age, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, but having some fun with it going like, you know, if I were to describe my feelings right now, you know, is it, is it sunny or is it rainy yeah. or is it a tornado? Like that's a lot gentler and it's a lot less invasive and threatening to a teen than saying like, how was your day? And then getting fine. Yeah, right, right. At least this way, maybe you can get a conversation going on right. on on the weather, you know, <laughs> you know, and 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 hopefully open up some communication that might uh, actually uh, you might learn some things from it. Yep, absolutely. Well, Richard Capriola, author of The Addicted Child, I want to thank you for your time today. Go ahead and check out helptheaddictedchild.com and uh, check out that, um, you know, that that study. I'm going to look it up because I think it's very interesting, you know, that it goes back. It's It surveys 50,000 students a year and has done so since 1975. I think that's pretty impressive. And I'm I'm grateful that you were able to interpret the material for us today. Thank you, Sandra. It's been a pleasure. And I so much appreciate you giving me this opportunity to talk about that and also um, your insightful comments and, uh, and questions. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a great week. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques on Coach Talk Radio. Coach Talk Radio.